We are in this series, Get Used to Different. And what we're looking at is our core values as a church. And uh, what we're looking at is actually we're walking through a book called 1 Thessalonians. If you weren't here with us last week, we covered our first core value, which is uh, we thrive, thrive on more joy than guilt. That's what we have as Christians. We have more joy than guilt because Jesus, our Savior, has taken away our sin. If you, haven't, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen through our Divine Savior Church app. You can watch on YouTube or on our website uh, to hear that message because it's really foundational for who we are. We thrive on more joy than guilt. Today we look at we take God's truth seriously. So I want you to think for a moment about our church. What would you consider a thriving church? What does that look like? I think, if you ask me, what's the ideal thriving church? It's that there are new people coming through our door every weekend. Every weekend, church is packed numerically as we grow. I think a thriving church has people not only numerically growing, but also spiritually growing, that we're growing deeper in the truths of God's Word. I think a thriving church would, would look like small groups packed. Our starting point where we learn about who God is and what He's done for us is packed. Our grow class where we learn how to read the Bible devotionally is filled with people. I picture uh, our, our uh, people who are serving on Sunday mornings with smiles because there's joy, expecting new people to come through the door and welcome them to hear the truth that their sins are forgiven just like yours are. I picture story after story of life change because as, as we change from uh, not having faith in Jesus to having faith in Jesus, that brings life change too. When, when your eternal destination changes from hell to heaven, that brings a whole lot of change to life. And it looks like fruit of faith in our lives. And so we hear all these life changing from, from bad habits, from sins that we're stuck in, to now living for Jesus. And I think we have story after story after story of that. Would you agree? Is that what a thriving church looks like? So here's a question that we're going to ask today and that we're going to tackle. What brings those ministry results? What gets those results in a church? We're going to look at Second, or, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 today as we're walking through this letter. Uh, if you don't know much about the Bible, uh, or if you do know a lot, uh, the Bible is one book made up of 66 books. Some of those were written as books. Others were written originally as a letter to Christian churches. And that's what 1 Thessalonians is. Uh, it was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christian church in Thessalonica. He wrote it in 51 AD. Paul started the church in Thessalonica, but was only able to be there for three weeks because after three weeks, some Jews from a neighboring town came over and threatened to kill him for preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, and so Paul left. From a human standpoint, this church had very little chance to succeed, and yet it did. This group stuck together despite being persecuted, despite 
being uh, threatened with their life. They stuck together. They clung to Jesus. And in chapter 2, Paul tells us how. But before he does, he first defends his ministry. Because one, uh, one thing that always happened to Paul is when he'd go in and have ministry success, people would always criticize him that he was out for greed, that he was authoritarian, that all this stuff, they would slander his name. And so Paul says, let's set the record straight as to who I am and how I conducted myself among you. And then let's talk about what got the results. So let's jump in. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what Paul says. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We got ministry results happening in Thessalonica, Paul says. You know it. We've seen it. You've seen it. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Let's stop right there. Paul says, yes, ministry results happened. And Paul says, let me tell you what we did and what we didn't do. We did come to you despite persecution, despite strong opposition. And he says, you know how we were jailed in Philippi? We were treated outrageously. We are Roman citizens, and yet we were jailed for preaching Jesus without a trial. We were jailed without a trial for preaching Jesus. And he says, after that, we came and we dared to tell you the gospel. If this was a made-up story, I think Paul would have said, I'm out. Uh, at least I know I would. If, if, I get, if this was a made-up story and what I do for a profession is made up, uh, and someone comes and jails me for it, that's it. Like, I'm done. <laughs> I don't need to take that chance again. But Paul says, no. We dare to tell you the gospel because this is truth. And it matters. And then he launches into what he didn't do. He said, look, we didn't come to you, verse 3, we didn't come to you out of error or impure motives, nor did we try to trick you. We're not trying to deceive you. Instead, we speak as those who are entrusted with the gospel. God has trusted us with this message, Paul says, and we have the obligation to tell you about it. Paul says, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. We're not looking for money, Paul said. We're not looking for you to give us a bunch of money and make money off of this. We're not using flattery telling you what you want to hear. And he said, we didn't force any of you. We could have came and said, look, God appointed us as apostles. You should listen to us. But he said, we didn't. We didn't do that. Instead, what did he do? How did he act among them? Verse 7. Instead, we were like little children, young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you, you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. 
we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul says, look, we didn't come to you asserting authority. Instead, we came like little children. We came like a mother who cares for her child. We came like a father who comforts, encourages, and urges you to live lives for God. We came lovingly. Paul says, look, we we weren't out for impure motives. We didn't try to trick you. We didn't force you. Instead, we came lovingly. And yet, none of this brought ministry results. Just because Paul loved them, would that really make them hang on to Jesus despite being persecuted for their faith? Absolutely not. Uh, Paul, great, you love us, but we're about to be killed for our faith. How does that help me right now? Instead, what brought ministry results is what we find in verse 13. Paul says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul says, You want to know why there's ministry results, Thessalonians? It's because you received the word of God as it actually is. Not as a made-up story, not as human words, but as God's word. And because you accepted it and received it as God's word, what's happening? It's at work in you who believe. It's working in your life. We learn two things about the Bible from that verse right there. The Bible is, first of all, God's word. This entire thing, Cover to cover is the word of God. It's not human words. It is God's word to you and me. But wait a minute. Didn't just a bunch of humans write this? That's a most common objection. Humans wrote this. How can it be God's word? Here's what the Bible says. 2 Peter 1. Peter himself says, Through him you believed. This is not the right verse. I apologize. Uh, The verse that we're supposed to have says this, that no prophecy came from humans, but prophets spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Prophets spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, look, we didn't make this stuff up. Like, Like a boat is pushed along on the sea by the wind in its sails. We prophets, we apostles wrote as the Holy Spirit guided us, pushed us, directed us what to write. That's how this is God's word. Did humans write it? Yes. Directed, guided, and pushed by our God. So that every single word is the word of God. And when we receive the word of God as it is, the word of God, and we let it rule our life, direct us, guide us, lead us, and we put our will under it, it's the second characteristic. And that is, the Bible is God's word, and it's effective. It works in your life. 
That's what the Thessalonians saw. How did they cling to Jesus? It's because God's word was effective in their life. Correcting them, rebuking them, training them, teaching them. Just like 2 Timothy said in our scripture reading this morning, uh, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Again, what do we see? God, God breathed it. He inspired scripture. It's God's word, and it's effective. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. God's word teaches us God's will. God's word corrects us when we're going off track. If you've ever been bowling and you have bumpers in the lanes, that's God's word correcting us. When, when we bowl and we're about to hit the, the gutter, God's word says, oh, you're going off track, bounces us right back in. Bounces us right back in. God's word corrects us. God's word rebukes us. It rebukes us when we take our ball and throw it into the other lane outside the bumpers on purpose. And that's sometimes how we live our life, isn't it? We know what God's word says, and yet we say, God, I know you want me to go straight down the alley, straight down the lane, but I'm going to go straight down lane number two. God's word comes and rebukes us. And then God's word trains us. Trains us to live lives for our Savior Jesus. Trains us in righteousness. How to live holy lives for our God. God's word is effective in doing all of that. When we keep God's word, God's word. When God's word is above our will, our wants, our desires, we submit all of that under God's will. Then God's word is effective. Then it's that work in those who believe. This is what happened in Thessalonica. This is why when they are faced with death for believing that Jesus is their Savior, they didn't turn from Jesus. They clung to Jesus because they clung to God's Word. Because God's Word shaped their life. And it was effective in their life. And so, what we have to ask ourselves is do we, like the Thessalonians, take God's truth seriously? We like to say yes, don't we? When asked, do you take God's truth seriously, we want to say yes, absolutely. But what does it look like in our life? Does our life show that we take God's truth seriously? Both as an individual and as a church. Do we take God's truth seriously? If you're sitting there saying, yes, I take God's truth seriously, here's a few questions to wrestle around in your mind. If you take God's truth seriously, then where is it on a priority in your day-to-day life? If you take God's truth seriously, do you still struggle with the same sins that you struggled with five years ago? If you take God's truth seriously, is your faith at the same place that it was a year ago? Or has it grown? If you take God's truth seriously, do you still struggle with the same habits, the same addictions that you did years ago? Or are you growing? If you take God's truth seriously, is your life looking like it by the fruits of faith that are coming from it? 
we as a church, do we take God's truth seriously? We could say, yes, we do. And yes, I do take God's truth seriously. I see it in my life. But do we as a church trust that God's truth is effective? Picture back to that introduction with the thriving church. Do we trust that God's word is going to do that? That God's truth will bring that result? Or are we looking to gimmicks to get people through the door? Or are we looking to force people to believe in Jesus? Or do we think that we have to add to the word of God, change the word of God, not preach all of God's word if we want people to come and to join and to join us on Sunday mornings? We've got to change a little bit of it because otherwise they're not going to like it. We take God's truth seriously because it's God's truth. And God's truth is effective. That's what we see in Thessalonica. Paul preached God's truth to them and it was effective And in fact, it is God's truth that has been effective in your life. Nobody forced you to believe in Jesus as your Savior. Nobody tricked you into believing the Bible. Nobody deceived you into being a Christian. It's the powerful Word of God that has touched your heart. This is incredible to think about. But this right here, God's Word. The same powerful word of God that said, let there be light, and there was light. At the very beginning of creation, when God said, let there be light, and light just appeared, that same powerful word is right here, from cover to cover. You hold it in your hand. You take it with you in your, uh, on your cell phone. You have access to it everywhere you go, and it's the powerful word of God that said, let there be light. It's that same power that's right here. It's the same powerful word of God that scattered the darkness that comes to you and scatters your guilt. As you hear from Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's that same powerful word of God that comes and scatters your fear as Jesus promises you, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Death has been conquered by our Savior and it drives away the fear. It's the same powerful Word of God that brings comfort and scatters the worry and anxiety as we know God promises that He, our all-powerful God, is on His throne, promising to rule all things for your good. It's that same powerful Word of God that comes to you and says, We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We were baptized into Christ. We have clothed ourselves with Christ. Let's not live in sin any longer. Instead, let's live for our Savior God. And it's that same powerful Word of God that drives away the sin and brings righteous living, holy living for our Savior Jesus. It is the powerful Word of God that's effective in our life. And when we keep God's Word as it is, God's truth, and we take God's truth seriously, and we let it shape us, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us, God's Word's effective in our life. And that's why here at Divine Savior, you're going to see us and hear us, and we will always be a church that takes God's truth seriously. Because it's the Word of God 
that brings us salvation. It's the Word of God that is effective, both now and forever. And so as we close up, I want to talk about three application points for us today that we learn from this chapter. Number one, we are not owners, but stewards of God's truth. Paul said, look, we've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. It's not ours. God has given us this message. And that's true. We aren't owners of it. We're stewards of it. What's the difference? An owner gets to decide what to do with his stuff or her stuff. A steward just takes care of owner's stuff. God's word is God's word. We aren't the owners of it. We don't get to change it. We don't get to eliminate it. We don't get to add to it. It's God's word. We are entrusted with it. We are stewards of that message. We keep it. We guard it. We don't change it. If culture goes against God's word, we have to guard God's word. Because it's God's word, not ours. We don't get to change it. If our political beliefs don't align with God's word, we don't get to change God's word to fit our political beliefs. God's word is God's word. We are stewards of it. We have been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with that message. And that also means that we're going to proclaim God's truth to everybody because we are stewards of it. Number two, we don't sell God's truth. We speak God's truth. What do I mean by that? I would never, ever, ever charge you to come to church. (laughs) That's not what I mean by selling God's truth. What I do mean is this. We're not salesmen. We're not salespeople. We're not going to trick you. We're not going to deceive you. We're not here telling you God's truth in hopes that you join our church so that you give more offering so that we can pocket more. Truth be told, my salary isn't based on the offering intake anyways. We don't sell God's truth. We speak God's truth. We simply proclaim it, and we proclaim all of it, because it's God's truth, not ours. And finally, we are not cold with God's truth, but we care with God's truth. We can speak the truth, but if we don't speak it in love, it's not going to be effective. Paul said that we we could have came into Thessalonica, and we could have demanded that our authority be listened to, but Paul says we didn't. We came to you how? as a mother, as a father. We love God and we love people. And we speak the truth in love because we want God's truth to be known with, to everybody. It's the same care that our Savior has for us. The same care that He would forgive us our sins. The same care that He would maintain and keep His word through thousands of generations so that you and I know the truth. The truth that our salvation is complete, the truth that heaven is ours, the truth that touches our hearts, changes our lives, that we live lives for our Savior now and forever, the truth that our names are written in heaven through the blood of Jesus. This is why we keep God's truth. This is why we take it seriously. We change it. We don't know any of that. But because it's God's truth, we know without a doubt that our salvation is complete. God's promises are true. And when we keep God's truth and we take it seriously, 
it then goes to work in those who believe. May God bless us as we keep God's truth and we take it seriously. Because when we keep God's truth seriously in our lives, it will bring change both eternally and now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for caring us, caring for us by sending your Son, our Savior. We thank you that your powerful word has driven away our doubts, our fears, has driven away our guilt, and it's all because of your truth that Jesus died for us and that he's now ruling all things for our good. We thank you that we can open up the Bible and know that it's true. If it's not, we can't know any of it's true, which, which means we don't know that our sins are forgiven, we don't know that there's life eternal, and that we don't know that you're ruling all things. We praise you that it is true, that there's no errors, that you've guided the writers, that we have it today so that we know without a doubt that you love us, you forgive us, you're ruling all things, and the grave has been conquered. Help us to keep your truth and take it seriously in our lives. Let it shape us, mold us, let us submit our will to it, because when we do, uh, your word is effective in our life, both now and forever. Be with us, let us guard it, protect it, and let it be the thing that drives us every single day. In your name we pray, amen. Part of tradition in Christian worship is to say a statement of faith that we call a creed. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed today. It was written around 100 